This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Mike in Montclair. What's up, Mike? Governor, next time you want to sit on a beach that is closed to the entire world except you, yeah. You put your fat ass in a car and go to hey. one that's open to all your constituents. Uh, well, you know, not just you and yours. Interesting, Mike. You know what? That what's beach, that? that? What's beach, that, Gov? You know, Mike. I love I love getting calls from communists in Montclair. Communists in, in Montclair. Montclair. You know, you're a bully, you Governor, are, no, no, and I don't what? like bullies. You know what? And listen, I'm not the one who came on the air. Hey, hold on, Mike. Mike, I'm not the guy who came on the air. Swore on the air. Who swore? And so you did. I, 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 get the heck out yeah, of here. You know, you're swearing on the air, Mike. You're 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 a bum. You know, so you let's so let's just you know, but, oh bad optics, okay? Mike. And I'd love to come look at your optics every day, buddy. Oh, that's you know what, and you know what, Mike. What matters is what you do. That's what matters. And what have you done? <laughs> what I just did was. And welcome back to another central edition of the Michael Deacon program. I'm glad you are all here. We are gathered here today to celebrate another glorious day in the life of all of us here together. We made it through the year. Give yourselves a round of applause. I can't believe it. It's the year 2022. And who the hell knows what's going to happen next? I am just like you. I'm looking forward to what's going to happen next. And once again, I'm reporting to you all the way. From the wastelands of California, deep inside of a boiler room, and my name, in fact, is Michael, and I look forward to once again to serve you those beautiful sounds of salvation yet again, and I'm glad you are all here with us, the new listeners out there, the old listeners out there, those of you on Patreon, those of you in the chat room, great to see all of you, and of course, we do have two very special guests in the building, live, not in America, both are in various locations, in remote locations, and I believe both gentlemen are waiting. So let's bring them right in. Aiden, are you there? Dan, are you out there too? Yes, Michael, I, I am. Thank you for having us on the program. I'm glad both of you are on. It's been a while since I've talked to Aiden. It's been uh, too long there, by the way. Yeah, it's been about two years almost, I think. Holy crap, it's been that long, huh? Yes. That is scary. That's too long, Aiden. That is way too long. And of course, Dan, he's sort of a regular now here on the program. And of course, we do respect and admire Captain Dan Handley out there. Uh, he has a lot of skin in the game. He's been through the ringer, of course, with all these things that we're going to talk about here tonight. Yes, Michael, I have. And I, I hope to get into what's on our website and our organization as well and give people a little bit of background information on me and what we're doing. So uh, yeah. I look forward to Look forward to doing that. Very nice. And of course, Aiden, can you remind the uh, newer listeners about yourself and who you are, my friend? Certainly. I uh, was educated and employed once upon a time in the electronics engineering field and became aware of 9-11 anomalies about 15 years ago and began to notice the void in the research area of the aircraft's flights. That day, the technology involved began to to research it and found that there were some um, interesting uh, developments preceding that day 
technologically that seem to enable the capability of remote flight that did not require the accused hijackers to do as alleged and that the technology was there to essentially allow for the planes to do what they did uh, automatically without human intervention or control. Yes, the autopilot system. Yes, the GPS that was activated just a year before the event, the avionics that were apparently present in the 9-11 aircraft about two years before the event, uh, they were not certified for official use in the U.S., I believe, until 2003. So they were basically dormant, inavailable. The infrastructure was there. The technology was there. The avionics was there. It just wasn't, uh, I believe, available for official use until 2003. So it did make an ideal covert uh, tool for foul play actors, shall we say, if that were um, on the agenda. You could say that. Okay. It's safe That's to say. That's the best way it's I can okay. summarize, I think. Yes, and I believe Dan has something to add to that. Yeah, let me, uh, I know you got a lot of regular listeners, uh, Michael, but for those who don't know who I am or what I do, uh, I was a pilot my whole working life. Uh, I started out flying uh, 54 years ago in 1968, first as a civilian pilot, and then uh, in 19. Uh, 73, I entered uh, naval aviation, flew there for 10 years and actually uh, eight years and two years reserve time. But I got hired by United Airlines in 1978. And over the course of 25 years there, flew about seven different airplanes. All total, I flew uh, 15 different aircraft over a 35-year career span, accruing over 20,000 flight hours. And the reason I bring that up is I'm that. That's a lot of experience, but there's pilots out there that have a lot more because I was a early retired, grounded for life in 2003, 11 years prior to my retirement age for speaking out about 9-11, but that's another whole story by itself. But uh, I want to make the statement publicly that uh, even with my experience, uh, I could not have flown the 9-11 flight profiles, in particular the Pentagon profile, and neither could the alleged Muslim hijackers. And that, that leads into uh, the organization that uh, I'd like to talk about briefly. I'll real briefly go over, yeah, that go ahead. over the whole web. Feel free to do so, uh, Dan. Sorry. Yeah. I'm the uh, director and international public spokesperson for a global grassroots network called uh, 911 Pilot Whistleblowers. And we've got a website at 911pilots.org and a YouTube channel at 911pilots. And please go there, and uh, if you're you're on a computer now, so uh, if you want to call up 911pilot.org, I'll be referencing that throughout the program. But the uh, purpose of the pro uh, of our group is to show that there were no Muslim hijackers at the controls of the 9/11 aircraft, but that these aircraft, as uh, Aiden mentioned, were electronically hijacked and remotely controlled by a system called the uninterruptible autopilot that enables a remote source to take complete control of these aircraft and fly them to their designated target. So the important thing is once this system gets engaged, the pilots can't disconnect it. The pilots and passengers are along for the ride, which is uh, 
pretty horrifying experience for any pilot to be on an airplane and have control of it taken over. But uh, that's basically what we're all about. Yeah. Again, I encourage you to go to the website uh, to read up more about it. And Dan, one thing I do like to ask everyone here, and uh, you too, Aiden, uh, when 9-11 first, you know, the whole event happened, when did you realize there was more to the story than meets the eye? Well, I was in Newark that day, so I saw the buildings burning. I thought we were under attack initially, like most everybody else did. Right. Uh, I slept through the whole event. I got back to Atlanta, where I was uh, domiciled, and started watching TV, and I saw the buildings come down identically the way they did. And that didn't quite sit right with me. But really, it wasn't until after I got back to fly in, which was a couple of weeks later, and I noticed the lack of security. And I thought, well, if 9-11 really uh, went down the way they're claiming, why, went, why wasn't this implemented? Why aren't they doing this? Uh, there were a lot of holes in the aviation security system that caused me to scratch my head, coupled with the fact that flight crews, flight attendant flight crews, were, I flew out of New York, so they were petrified this was going to happen again. They say we were, we didn't even have air marshals then, but even when they did come into existence, uh, we weren't getting them on flights, and I fly mainly New York to London, and uh, there were a lot of promises being made of security measures they were going to take, and they never implemented any of them. So I, at the prompting of air crews that I was working with, they said, you've got to say something, you know, we're sitting ducks out here, so... I went to the company first to uh, the union and then the company, and I was getting this tremendous blowback. And uh, keep your head down; these guys are nasty. If you take it to the next level, you're going to get hurt. So I, I didn't, and that's what got me grounded. But uh, it was because they weren't responding to what I was saying, and because I knew the security system was a farce that led me down this path to get me grounded for life. So I guess that that was a uh, over from, I'd say, early 2002 to when I was grounded in 2000, late 2003. Uh, and uh, that, that, and then after that, uh, they came out and announced what the flight resume of these hijackers was. And I then I said, there's no way, because I had flown flight single-engine Cessna aircraft early on in my flying career, and I also flew 757 and 767 and other glass cockpit airplanes. And I said to myself, there's no way they could, with a couple hundred hours of flying time even, in light Cessna aircraft, fly these commercial jets that are very complex and sophisticated. So that was the other bell that went off in my head that says, oh, no, there's, I, I actually believed at that point in time, well, they must have had training in Saudi Arabia or Egypt or the UAE or where these hijackers came from right. on these aircraft. But uh, that was it, basically, Michael. Understood. And what about you, Aiden? Your first initial uh, reaction, of course, was, I assume, like everyone else here in America, we all thought we were under attack. We all thought, you know, this is this is pretty wild. We all, you know, we all had our suspicions right away. However, some of us kind of felt... Inside, like something was not really passing the smell test. Something was a little odd here. Um, I kind of felt, you know, we saw this happen right before our very own eyes. And, of course, you would suspect, you know, we here, we're here in America. We have the best security. We have this and that. 
we're on top of all these things, yet this event sort of happened. It, it, it was almost like we let it happen. And of course, sure enough, here we are in 2022. And, you know, all the all the information has been coming in for years. And every day it's one of those things where we kind of already know that these narratives that are thrown at us are all BS. I'm embarrassed to admit it for a number of years. I, I believed the official story. And then early in the two, decade of the early 2000s, some documentaries uh, were created questioning the official version and brought attention to the anomalies regarding the building destructions. I eventually came around to believing that they were intentionally destroyed by other means than the official story. And realizing that, I then realized that the flights themselves must also have been manipulated somehow, which led me on my journey of investigating aspects of the technology and the the potential for carrying these out in ways that were not described officially. And, you know, I came to realize uh, through research that, for example, the flight data recorders contain no serial numbers that were normally attributed to such devices in flight investigation accident reports. Also, I obtained via FOIA a copy of the Flight 77 flight data recorder download file, and it contains a timestamp, for example, that predates the actual discovery of the FDR itself in the Pentagon wreckage, which basically is equivalent to finding a murder weapon before the murder itself takes place. Um, and th once I looked into the technology and the capabilities of the aircraft, the automated capabilities, one after another, pieces just fell into place. It just allowed for the uh, certain, certainly the possibility of these aircraft doing what they did under autopilot control. All four, even though there were two separate uh, models, 757-767, they all had common avionics packages. And I found also that just right before 9-11, for about two to three years, there was intensive research and development carried out by FAA, uh, different contractors, Raytheon, Honeywell, uh, Rockwell Collins, uh, intensively researching and developing this technology by various flights relying on 757s and 767s leased by UPS, Federal Express, um, NASA had, for example, a research and development platform, Boeing 757 Ares aircraft, uh, within which some of this research was conducted. So there's just a lot of uh, suspect coincidental activity right before the event. Right. And, you know, since uh, by 9-11 and thereafter, all of the research and development stopped. So it was all performed and carried out just before and right up to 9-11. Oh, yes. And, of course, you do have a very interesting background yourself in electronic engineering. Of course, we spoke about that a minute ago, but those that are just joining in, that's what uh, Aiden has been up to. He's a whistleblower. And, of course, you have been researching this for a very, very long time. And, of course, we, you know, the last time we talked, we didn't really get to talk about Mandalay Bay. That was one thing we were going to talk about but completely forgot. But we'll get into that much later here tonight if you'd like, Aiden. Oh, certainly, yeah. I, uh, 
we did t- we did touch on it I slightly think, briefly, but uh, yeah, after making a career transition, I wound up you know, in the middle of something else altogether different than nine eleven. But interesting, nevertheless. Oh yes, we could talk about that later on here, um, and of course, gentlemen, this has been one of those things that are still being uh, talked about uh, today. 9-11, it's one of those things that never goes away. Kind of and like COVID, should. right? It should, Michael. It should. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of people out there, they have a very hard time believing that perhaps our government was uh, in the know. They say, that's insane. No way. No way our country would ever do something like that. Well... Our organization isn't saying exactly what happened on 9-11. We're saying what could not have happened, and that is the hijackers could not possibly have flown the airplane, and we can get into that a little bit later. But uh, that leaves, okay, how did three airplanes strike three buildings that day, if that is what actually happened, because some don't believe it it did. But anyhow, it's another story. Uh, The only viable alternative explanation that one can uh, have is that this uninterruptible autopilot system was employed because you look at the accuracy of the hits and that it was all accomplished on their first attempt, uh, it all points to this uninterruptible autopilot system. Uh, and I, I might add, uh, Aiden, you were saying uh, when your eyes first start opening to this, uh, and uh, after I was grounded in 2003, it was before Facebook and Twitter was around. I established a big uh, grassroots organization called the Whistleblowing Airline Employees Association, and it consisted of a lot of people on an email system that I'd send on an email and ask them to forward it to their family, friends, and neighbors. But uh, in 2006, because I had this huge email network, uh, someone contacted me and said, hey, there's a pilot out there they're going to terminate because he's a 9-11 whistleblower, basically. So I got a hold of the guy, and the guy's name is Captain Phil McConnell. I don't know if uh, you've heard of him before, but uh, he uh, was a former Northwest Airlines DC-10 captain. What he had discovered was this uninterruptible autopilot system. So in 2006, I called him, and they were going to send him out to Los Angeles to see uh, notorious Federal Aviation Administration uh, um mental health professional, if you want to call him that, who was notorious for grounding pilots for speaking out uh, on uh, different issues. So I called him and said, Field, don't do it. Uh, It's a setup. They'll ground you for life. And him and I became friends, but it was in early 2007 that uh, he first introduced me to the uninterruptible autopilot. And I have to tell you, I told you before, I thought they had training in other, some other country. When he told me about it, it was my aha moment. It was when I said to myself, so that's how they did it. Okay, now then it started making sense. So really from 2006 forward, I've been trying to put out the word about the uninterruptible autopilot system. Yes, and going back to the single-engine Cessna aircraft that these alleged hijackers were uh, taking uh, test flights in. They were taking flight lessons, and, of of course, they weren't the best students, uh, needless to say. Yet they were able to, yeah, yet they were able to perform these aerial maneuvers that seem impossible. Right, right. That's interesting. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry, Dan. No, you go go ahead, Aiden. I can say it later. 
Oh, sure. You're referring to the uh, Pentagon uh, flight profile, the descending turn. I found that in researching the research out of Stanford University, for example, uh, specified that the augmented GPS that came into effect just before 9-11 was turned on on a conditional basis, allowed for autopilots to actually perform descending constant radius turns. And what you find in at least two of the three flights, the Trey Tower and Pentagon targets, 175 and Flight 77 both hit their targets uh, performing uh, descending turns. And I found doing some trigonometric calculations and relying on video of Flight 175, for example, that the plane itself was lined up about a mile and a half distant from the target about eight seconds before impact. And uh, to have done that under crosswind conditions uh, is remarkable, uh, especially given the fact that the plane was traveling at 800 feet per second. Were this turn to have been initiated a second sooner or later than it was, you necessarily miss a building by uh, hundreds of feet. Um, in this video, for example, we see that it appears in the image, wings level, goes behind the, the smoke cloud, and reappears, uh, settled into a 20-degree bank. And it was at that point you begin counting that it's about a mile and a half out at 800 feet per second, descending, rock steady. And to do this under crosswind conditions, it could have pushed the plane off target by about 100 feet. Uh, it's just remarkable, once again. Well, going back to the Pentagon, if I could, uh, let me go into a little bit more detail on the maneuver performed there and who did it. Uh, Hani Hanja was a 29-year-old Saudi Arabian hijacker who uh, came to the States mid-90s, took some training, but was a very poor student before going back to Saudi Arabia. And he came back about a year, not even a year prior to 9-11 and tried to re-enroll in the jet tech flight school in Arizona that he had flown at before, and they wouldn't take him because they didn't want to waste assets on him. So you can read on our website uh, all the negative comments that were made about Hani Hanjur. But uh, I knew I knew this uh, the, the uh, Pentagon profile that he supposedly flew. The airplane took off from Washington Dulles Airport, heading for the West Coast. It got up to cruise altitude for a while. And then did a 180 and uh, about face. You turned back to Washington D.C. and started a descent. And at 7,000 feet, it begins this 330 degree right corkscrew turn, descending and accelerating to arrive precisely at the surface without touching the surface to strike the Office of Naval Intelligence at over 500 knots. And he did this on his first attempt. Well. This same maneuver was replicated in a simulator by another grassroots group, pilot group, and flown by highly experienced pilots, and they crashed the simulator when they tried the, the, the profile. But it gets better than that, Michael and Aiden. Uh, one month prior to 9-11, Hani Hanjur went to the freeway airport in Maryland and tried to rent a Cessna 172. And they wouldn't rent it to him because he couldn't fly the airplane. Amazing. I've uh, I contacted one of the I contacted just recently 
the chief flight instructor at the uh, freeway airport and initially he says, I have nothing to say to you. He didn't want to talk about <laughs> it. But he, I wonder why. He, proce- he proceeded for about seven minutes to chastise me for even bringing this back up again, leave it alone. It's 20 years old. You're going to open a whole can of worms. Nothing's going to come of it. And I said, no, it's never been criminally investigated. There's a lot of people out investigating the crime. So anyhow, he said, I wasn't the one that flew with him. There were two other instructors, which led me to investigate a little bit further. And I found out there was a man and a woman, Ben Connor and Sherry Baxter, who did, in fact, fly three flights with Honey Hondra between them. And they're the ones that went to Marcel Bernard, the chief flight instructor, and said, uh, this guy can't fly. And this was just one month prior to 9-11. So what happens then? Three days later, Honey Hondra supposedly went to Congressional Air Charter down the road at another airport and got an instructor named Eddie Shalev or Shalev, I'm not sure exactly how you pronounce it, uh, to go flying with him. And Eddie Shalev came back and said, he's a good pilot. So what does the 9-11 commission do? Here you got four pilots, three of them saying he's a poor pilot, and the other one saying he's a good pilot. They go to all of them and talk to them. But because the 9-11 commission wanted to hear uh, what Eddie Shalev had to say, that's what they bought. None of these pilots testified before the 9-11 commission. As a matter of fact, no pilot ever testified before the 9-11 commission as to the absurdity of this ludicrous notion that these hijackers flew the airplane. So I wonder Eddie, why. Exactly. And Eddie Shalev's testimony to, to this uh, individual from the 9-11 commission appears as but a footnote in the 9-11 commission final report. Now, who is Eddie Shalev? Eddie Shalev is an Israeli that served in the Israeli Defense Force who uh, mysteriously disappeared after this all occurred. As a matter of fact, Congressional Airport Charter shut down and so did the airport. So uh, Eddie Shalev is nowhere to be seen or heard, but uh, we're trying, uh, I can talk about the FAA investigation ongoing right now, supposedly, and how we're trying to... uh, Holy cow, I just got a message. My sister had a heart attack. Oh, uh, my God. Yeah. Can you, uh, uh, your, your sister had a heart attack? Is that what you said? That's what I just heard. Uh, my sister called me on Skype. But anyhow, Jesus. let me continue. Go ahead. Let me, conti- let me continue here. Uh, the, uh, oh, she's calling again. Uh, anyhow, we, we're demanding that. Marcel Bernard, Ben Connor, Sherry Baxter, and Eddie Shalev all appear before the FAA or the FBI and uh, be uh, give them a deposition so we can get to the bottom of the truth regarding him because this is a key issue. It's a critical issue. Honey Hunter is a smoking gun, and we need to get to the bottom of it. So Mark, uh, Mark, Aiden and I both know an author, an aviation investigator, named Mark Gaffney, who's written a couple of books on uh, 9-11. Uh, and he wrote a, he wrote a paper for, uh, 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 what the heck, Global Research. And that's on our uh, website as well. So it's a lengthy uh, 12-page, I believe, uh, article, but it's well worth the read. It goes into a lot more detail than what I just did. And by the way, Dan, at what speed were these uh, 
the Boeing traveling in the 757 about 500 miles per hour, give or take? Yeah, well, all of them. The slowest one was uh, American 11 that hit the North Tower. It was under 500 knots, but uh, the others were around 500 knots. And that's a big controversy uh, uh-huh. because 500 knots exceed the maximum operating speed of those airplanes at sea level by about 120 to 140 knots. And there's some people that say, including some structural engineers, that say the aircraft should have come apart. Well, I've had other people argue the other way. And I, I'm kind of personally undecided myself. I'm not a, I'm not an aircraft uh, structural engineer. Uh, but uh, I don't I really can't say for sure whether or not they would. In other words, it was pretty it was pretty damn fast. We could we could leave it at that. Oh, oh <laughs> yeah, it, it was fast. It was fast. My goodness. Yes, it, it's once you start learning about that, you really start questioning the whole narrative and thinking, these guys really did do this. Uh, they were that talented. They were pulling yes. out maneuvers that no one else can. If I may. Hey, go, um, go ahead, Aiden. Oh, sorry, Jump go in ahead, there. Dan? No, Aiden, go ahead. Certainly. Thank you. Um, yeah, I was just referring again to the, uh, the, the, the capabilities of the technology, the highways in the sky that were supported by the technology provided for corridors as narrow as 243 feet under required navigation performance parameters. That's the, uh, the uh, acronym it's attributed to the um, technology I'm referring to uh, as narrow as 243 feet. The towers themselves were 208 feet wide. Uh, typical commercial airport runways are about 150 feet wide. Uh, a researcher, Kevin Ryan, discovered looking into building destruction reports published by NIST that the airplanes, in each case, building one, building two, struck only those floors that were renovated up to that point. Those floors also were the ones that subsequently burned. And it's just a remarkable coincidence that the uh, contractors that were performing renovations within the buildings during the year or so before the attacks. It was a miracle. Had only, yeah. Yeah. Had only carried out renovations of the steel fireproofing on those floors that were impacted and subsequently burned. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Wow. And, of course, the chat room here, I've, I've been staring at it for a few moments here. Everyone is kind of on board with the uh, zero accountability sort of angle where no one really gets in trouble or brought to justice for any of these crimes. And, of course, we have all these people like Cheney, Rumsfeld, uh, John Bolton. Remember that? Remember him? Um, you, you have all kinds of people out there. And right. um, that should be held accountable for what went on. We also well, have a, the, we also have PNAC, the project for a new American century, as most of the listeners know what exactly what that's all about there, where we had all these, the pamphlets and all the propaganda to push for a new Pearl Harbor. It seems well, that, uh, I'm sorry, continue, uh, Dan. Well, I'll let you go first because uh, what I have to say is a rather lengthy story of what our organization is doing. Oh, certainly. Yeah. I'll just summarize, uh, to, to Michael's point that, uh, it just, I think we're discovering more and more lately that our federal government agencies have been captured by, uh, NGOs, non-governmental organizations internationally and domestically, 
they're unduly influenced by them. They've been around for decades. They've uh, wielded undue influence behind the scenes over our official organizations that would look into these things under normal circumstances, but because they are steered by unseen forces, shall we say, that therefore we haven't had the investigation we need with 9-11. Well, that dovetails into what I was going to say, uh, Michael, and maybe you too, Aiden, remember, I may recall that uh, originally our goal of our organization was to recruit highly experienced and trained uh, qualified uh, pilots from around the world, whether they're active or retired military or civilian, to be interviewed, which I've done numerous interviews with, who attested the fact that not only could the, they not have flown the profiles, but the hijackers could not have flown them themselves. So uh, we were planned on taking this information we have and other evidence we had gathered to an organization called the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry in hopes that they would present it to a U.S. attorney, forcing him to convene a grand jury investigation into their allegations. But I've been told recently that we're on the back burner with this organization. So, uh, And they actually intimated that uh, about a year and a half ago. So what we did in August 2020, uh, I uh, filed – no, I contacted the FBI in Washington. And I filed a report. You know, I told them, look, I want to report uh, some information on a crime that was committed some years ago and proceeded to tell them all about the uninterrupted law. But she's taken down all this information and says, uh, well, we'll call you back when we need any more information. So I waited a month. They didn't. So I called them back. They got uh, uh, annoyed with me and pretty much told me to bug off, leave them alone. They'll call me if they want to. So I called the Transportation Security Administration, and he recommended that I uh, call the FAA or Boeing. So I went to the FAA. I'll, I'll, I'll make this a little bit shorter than what I could. I went to the FAA and filed an FAA report via their hotline. And initially, I got a receipt, and they received the report, and I provided them with some information, some background information on the uninterruptible autopilot system. And... Uh, the next thing, about a week later, I get an uh, email from a, an FAA aeronautical engineer in Seattle saying that he would be my point of contact, and he wanted to set up a three-way call with him and a friend of his in his office and me the next day. So I came back to him and said that would be great, but I attached a whole bunch more information, including a 60-page document on the uninterrupted autopilot system. And... Uh, I got an email back to him saying we didn't realize the depth and breadth or the scope of this investigation. We're going to need more time to look at this. So they called the meeting off. That was the last contact I had with this guy. I tried to call. Oh, I, I'll take it back. I called him and we talked for about 10 minutes and he was very tight lipped. I was a glider pilot. So I said to him, I'm not going to ask you if you could have flown the airplane and he wouldn't say anything. So, uh, that was the last I heard it from him. I tried calling him. I tried emailing him. Nothing worked. So I went to his boss in Washington, emailed her, told her what was going on, and I wound up getting sent back to the FAA hotline that I filed the original report with. So this went on for several months, me sending them more information, and I finally caught them using the Freedom of Information Act in lies and deception and what they were saying. 
and I confronted them on this. And they wound up sending, I got as an attachment to an email that I was copied on, a three-page memorandum uh, refuting everything I was saying, but it was full of holes, uh, lies, and deception. So I came back and refuted that. And Jeff Dubin, the uh, chief investigator for, uh, he's the uh, director of safety for the FAA, came back and basically said, we're not going to talk to you anymore. So... Then I went to the FAA administrator up to the Secretary of Transportation, the Secretary of Transportation Inspector General. I even wrote the uh, Director of National Intelligence, the Attorney General, the FBI Director, went to the Department of Justice Inspector General saying, hey, I'm, we're being stonewalled here. This is the biggest crime ever committed on American soil in history. It's never been criminally investigated. You've got to open an investigation. And I wasn't getting a response. So. What I did about a month and a half ago was send a letter to the House of Representatives Government Oversight and Reform Committee saying, hey, the ball's in your court. I actually sent it to two subcommittees as well. There's a subcommittee on government operations and another one on national security and said basically, uh, I've been lied to Stonewall for a year and a half and I'm demanding that uh, the uh, House uh, committee opened an investigation into it. So that's where it stands. I've gotten much further than I thought I would, but I knew from the very outset that uh, I wasn't going to get anywhere. This is an I uphill battle. To, yeah, it's it's one of those I, things. I knew I was, it's right, one of those I knew things, I was yeah. Just establishing a, a correspondence trail so I could go to Congress, but that's where it's at right now. Yeah, you really went to every agency, it seems, every alphabet player out there, and no response from anybody. Well, I got the standard auto reply. Yeah, yeah. Can computer generated mm-hmm. response. So, <laughs> that's and thank, thank you, and feeding me a line of garbage. But uh, other than that, no, I haven't received any letters in the mail from these people. And for a year and a half, I said, give me a single point of contact, phone number, and email address from someone within the FAA that uh, uh, I can talk to you directly and they wouldn't do it. So, Well, that's not surprising. Do you think we'll yeah. ever get any real facts from what happened that morning? I don't know. I, uh, I hesitate to put this out on the air, but I will. Uh, we have a... Join us page on the website. All you got to do is put your name, email address in there, and we put you on our email list for up to updates on what we're doing. And uh, it's got a comments box there. And I was looking at it the other day, and I saw a journalist from Dhaka, Bangladesh, had joined our group. So I emailed him an article that I had written, and it turns out he yeah. was a journalist that worked for a company called... Uh, uh, let me think, Interpress Service, which is comparable to the Associated Press. It's about 60 years old, headquartered in Rome, got about 400 uh, journalists worldwide, and it puts out new press releases to about uh, 140 countries in the world. And I asked him, I wrote a letter, and the title of the article, I mean, I wrote an article, and the title of the article was uh, U.S. Pilot Whistleblower, uh, 
I can't remember the title. And the U.S. pilot whistleblower uh, claims that the 9/11 uh, aircraft were were remotely controlled. That was it. I had to stumble through it to think about it for a minute. And he came back and said, "Yes, he would publish the article." So uh, in the next week or so, this article is going to go out, hopefully to 140 countries. And uh, it's very uh, it exposes a lot and. Uh, I don't think the government will be happy that I did it, but uh, anyhow, that that's where that stands. Because I, in the article, it puts the uh, U.S. government on report for stonewalling uh, what what our organization is doing. So yes. I've got a lot of help. I'm I'm the public mouthpiece and uh, founder and director of the organization, but uh, we've had people from all over the world join us, and uh, we've got a pretty big number of pilots that have joined us as well. So. All of them demanding that an investigation be conducted, but uh, yeah, yeah, probably might not happen the way we wanted to. We might not ever get any real answers for what happened that morning. Well, That's the insane part of it all. That's very frustrating. I would have to say, uh, anyone out there who is driven crazy by what happened, like many of us are, um, yeah. it, and we're not going to get anywhere. Not with uh, the government. They don't really like to Not admit a, their mistakes. They, you know, they have a habit of doing that. Well, with the exception of the 2,977 victims of 9-11 whose next of kin have been demanding an investigation for years, uh, the only hope I see possibly would be if a foreign government took the information, or governments, plural, took the information and ran with it and conducted their own independent investigation. And I see that could possibly happen in Muslim countries because next to the victims, uh, the Muslim countries in the Middle East and South Asia have suffered more due to the lies of 9-11 than anyone in the world. There have been millions have been uh, killed, maimed, or displaced in these countries based on the illegal invasions that occurred there. And uh, if the information could somehow be filtered to these governments. And if they had the guts, they could uh, form an international commission to investigate the information because there's a wealth of information out there, including from the Lawyers Committee, Architects and Engineers, and a number of other people that have come forth with information that could conclusively prove that it was an inside job. Speaking of which, Richard, Richard Gage has been on the program, by the way. Oh, yeah. Not okay. too long ago. Yeah. Yeah, he's a friend. I've been on his program recently. <laughs> so he's got a program called Richard Gage Unleashed. Uh, he had me on uh, last month, I believe it was. So, very nice. Uh, very, very nice. And, of course, Aiden, are you also believing that there were – do you also believe that there were no Muslim hijackers at the controls of the aircraft? Uh, no, I, I no longer believe this. Um, uh, for example, you know, some skeptics may say, well, we heard the hijackers, for example, on the radio saying what they said. Uh, however, anyone with the capability to transmit on those frequencies could have said what was said um, over the airways, um, for example. And, and speaking to the technology, if anyone's curious, um, the avionics packages allowed, for example, the uh, remote transmission of flight plan waypoints that were directly installable into the flight management system computers, for example, 
uh, and as an aircraft was in autopilot flight, these new waypoint flight plan uh, data could be uh, remotely transmitted, installed, and implemented uh, mid-flight. So, the, as I was saying before, the technology was there. Uh, I know pilots for never, pardon, pilots for 9/11 Truth. Some years ago, interviewed an avionics technician who spoke to the existence of so-called backdoors in the uh, flight management computers and software that allowed for remote uh, and covert uh, acquisition of the systems mid-operation. So, uh, you know, there there was just many opportunities through sure. technology yeah. to carry out what was done. Understood. And yeah, what that, a, go ahead. That avionics, that avionics technician was a guy named Wayne Anderson and Rob Belsamo, the co-founder of Pilots for 9-11 Truth, interviewed him. And we've got it on our website. If you go to remote control page down towards the bottom, the interviews there, it's an audio recording. But he, they go into detail on that recording, uh, where they brought a 757 into a hangar and they were going to bench test the autopilot of the aircraft, and the guy came in with a laptop, the maintenance control, gave him walkie-talkies. They were the maintenance guys. The mechanics went out on the airplane, and he was inside the shop, and he told them to engage the autopilot, which they could, they can buy, when they're bench testing, they can bypass a switch that simulates the airplane and is in the air so they can engage the autopilot. So they did that, and he proceeded to take complete control of the airplane. Anything that they tried to do to disconnect the system, there's one way of in, uh, connecting an autopilot, just turning on the switch. So there's four or five ways of disconnecting it. Turn the switch back off. There's a little button on the yoke or steering wheel of the airplane to compress, applying a 70-pound force to that yoke, or pulling the circuit breaker, which would disconnect the electrical power. Well, they tried pulling every circuit breaker on the airplane, and the plane still was out of their control. It was in control of the guy in maintenance. So uh, that proved that it has its own electrical power source and it can't be unpowered once it's engaged. So it's really worth your while to uh, go and listen to that audio recording. Uh, speak, speaking of the website, uh, about a week or two ago, someone on Facebook gave me an article saying, I think you want to look at this. And the name of it was, Plausibility of 9-11 aircraft attacks generated by GPS-guided aircraft autopilot systems. I'm like, whoa, what is this? So I'm looking at this eight-page document that goes into tremendous detail, and I look at the author is uh, Aiden Monahan, and I go, wait a minute, I know that name. And There you go. <laughs> so Abracadabra. Aiden, Aiden and I were on a program a year or two ago with uh, with with uh, Michael, so I connected with Aiden, and uh, that article is on our website. If you go to remote control, uh, let me just uh, let me just stop and you guys continue because I'm getting a message uh, from my sister. Yeah, you should uh, check up on your sister there, by the way, Dan. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell Hopefully you what, Michael, okay. let me hang let me hang up and find out what's going on, and I'll call you back. Yeah, just uh, text me when everything's uh, in the clear, and I'll. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No Take worries, care. Dan. Sorry, guys. Okay. Bye -bye. No worries. My goodness, um, 
Hopefully everything is all right with Dan and his sister. Anytime you're doing a live show, you never know what the hell to expect, Aiden. It's um, that's the that's the glory of doing a live show. It's insane. That's, you never know uh, what's going to happen. That's live. That's live broadcasting for you, I suppose. Um, and hopefully things work out. Uh, I I suppose getting back to the technology, which is what the paper Dan mentioned focuses on. I also found through research, for example, uh, the GPS uh, satellite. Array produces daily a GPS almanac file that details the conditions, parameters, performance of the uh, satellite array on a daily basis, and they're hosted by the U.S. Coast Guard. I was able to uh, download the file for 9-11, the GPS almanac file, and run it through a, a GPS uh, planning software and found that as the attacks were underway – Oh, my – the GPS performance for the coordinates of the targets uh, was at its highest or near highest levels for the entire 24-hour period. For example, GPS performance is all dependent upon the visibility of satellites to the observer, to the user, and this changes uh, hourly uh, throughout the day, and just coincidentally or not, uh, at the coordinates of the Trade Center in the Pentagon, for example, the uh, accuracy, or shall I say, uh, the um, availability of accuracy was at its highest levels during that day as the attacks were underway at those locations. And I, th I thought that was remarkable as well. Oh, yes. And by the way, I, I forgot to mention this to to Dan, but now he's gone. I was just going to go back to the, the the man who actually was the flight trainer for the suspected um, terrorist who, I believe they crashed into the Pentagon, if I read that article right, uh, a while back. I think I had read something back in 2015 about Rick Garza. Yeah, that's the guy's name, a flight instructor. He actually flunked them out of, out of, out of the course because they weren't so good at all. Yeah, there were a number of accounts. I think uh, Al Shahi uh, of 175 and Atta of 111, for example, even uh, tried to take a propeller-driven airplane uh, out onto a runway to taxi for takeoff and stalled the aircraft and literally got out of it and abandoned it on foot and were referred to, I think, in a Washington Post story by the person describing the event as dumb and dumber. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, as well, you know, I mentioned earlier, speaking of the towers and the uh, renovation work sure. that was underway there, uh, for example, it was carried out by a company called Turner Construction, whose CEO at the time was a close associate of President Bush, later became a neighbor of his in Dallas, Texas. And this is a contractor that as well performed, uh, rather built the headquarters for an organization called the Naval Sea Systems Command, a division of the U.S. Navy who at the time, circa 9-11, was the only reliable source of nano-aluminum powders in the United States, which were a component of the nanothermite that appears to have been found in some of the dust samples that were collected subsequent to 9-11. So if one digs deep enough, they can find that there are all sorts of just too many coincidental connections that overlap one another and really give uh, one cause to... Uh, to question everything. Oh, yes. Well, as soon as I found out or heard about these alleged phone calls that were taken on an airplane at, what, 3,200 feet? 
I thought that's that's got to be bullshit. No way yeah, cell phones been, were able to do that back in the day. Yeah, there have been a, you know, a number of anomalies raised. I know that also that there were some hijacking exercises carried out on different various commercial models of aircraft. And some of the, re- the reports of these events uh, in some documents uh, report that some similar types of simulated calls during these exercises were made that were comparable to the kinds of calls that took place allegedly on 9-11. And uh, I know some people, obviously, maybe others are aware as well that uh, there were some tests done, experiments done that demonstrated. I think uh, A.K. Dudney of Canada, for example, a scientist, uh, demonstrated that uh, beyond a certain altitude, these uh, – cell phone systems were useless and could not connect. And uh, it makes perfect sense because you want to direct all of your cellular radiation uh, into the usable spectrum. So therefore, you're not going to transmit straight up into areas where planes are flying at 30,000 feet. You know, you're going to bring it closer to the ground for the, uh, to concentrate all of your useful energy to connect calls at such altitudes. And Therefore, you, you know, you're not going to have the possibility probably uh, of connecting calls that are located at 30,000 foot altitudes. No, that's why I, I always thought, well, that's that's got to be wrong. No way. Cell phones were that good back in the early 2000s. That's kind of insane. I know I've tried. Yeah, I know. Speaking for myself, I've tried a number of times over the years to try to connect or see how long I could maintain a connection uh, taking off in a commercial flight, for example. And uh, within seconds of leaving the ground, signals were lost, you know, repeatedly and not restored until I was nearly back on the ground. I'm glad they didn't uh, so, kick you off the plane for doing that, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just happened to discreetly do what I did and uh, just out of my own curiosity and nice and never was able to uh, maintain bars so I to see. speak beyond you know seconds after leaving the ground understood understood once you once you find out these little factoids you really start to question the whole narrative even further you know those that are new to all this and have never heard about any of this before I'm sure some people are scratching their heads they're saying oh that's they're telling lies here on the show. Well, uh, certainly uh, the official story seems to be little more than an uh, unproven allegation, uh, captivating, you know, for some, uh, easy to disseminate across mainstream media and captivate the masses. That's what they did. But, uh, it, was, it was a mass. And hip- they did. Yeah. Uh, you mean the, the official photo of Atta, for example, you, you, you feel as though you're looking at Satan. Great propaganda. Uh, however, it doesn't demonstrate anything. It doesn't prove anything. And uh, there are other anomalies I found, you know, for example, as well with the uh, – oh, my goodness. It's been a while now. <laughs> I'm having a mental block here. It happens. It happens. Yeah, the flight, the, the flight transponders. I also did some analysis of the performance of those – devices on the aircraft that put out automatic automated identification information to the flight control system or uh, the air traffic controllers and some of those uh the performance of some of those devices were 
allegedly manipulated by the uh, hijackers. But uh, I wish I'd had more time to review this. It, it, it's, it's, it's an interesting analysis. There are some anomalies contained there no as worst. well okay. um, that cannot necessarily be attributed to the official story, let's say. And do you believe this was a controlled demolition? I've come to believe this, yes. Um, physically, it just seems to have been impossible for what happened to have happened. Uh, as well, you know, researchers discovering what appeared to be uh, nanothermitic uh, contents of the dust that was recovered by some survivors of the event and turned over for analysis. Uh, the temperatures, for example, on within the stru the collapsed structures, uh, burning at the temperatures they did for months, uh, highly unusual. We're, we're told that the contents were dustified, so therefore you don't have a fuel source, but nevertheless, for months, these super hot temperatures were being generated by fires within the uh, destroyed wreckage of the building. So another conflict that just doesn't make sense. I agree. It doesn't make uh, any sense. And, of course, you had all kinds of uh, witnesses there, eyewitnesses on the ground like police and uh, firefighters who heard explosions when all this was going down. Yeah, and certainly seconds before the collapse of Trade Center 2, we see this a molten material appear from the side of the building uh, and coming out of it and generating the kind of white dust that is associated with thermitic Reactions uh, re referred to as aluminum oxide, uh, just uh, by sheer coincidence or not. Um, I guess getting back to also some of the research I did into the flights, for example, I did a FOIA request of the Bureau of Transportation Statistics oh, right. looking for flight history of the 9-11 aircraft and uh, discovered after getting a response from them that there was no flight history for some of these aircraft for an entire one-year period prior to the event, which makes which begs the question: Where were these aircraft? Uh, what were they doing? Who was doing what with them, and so on? Yes, it just uh, brings up even more questions that have been left unanswered, sadly. Certainly. And Aiden, another thing I did want to get into get, get into this with you was. Um, Going back to Mandalay Bay for a moment here. Sure. What was what was it that you wanted you wanted to talk about in, in our early email exchanges? You you said you had something to bring up in terms of what happened there. Oh yeah, uh, you know I was working in the capacity of a security professional at the time of a sister property of the Mandalay Bay Hotel. Uh, much of what happened afterwards came onto our property, which is very nearby the venue that came under attack. Uh, there were reports for up to an hour after the event of active shooters throughout the Las Vegas Strip yeah. location. Uh, one after another, moving north up the Strip as far as maybe a mile and in several of these accounts, there were described uh, active shooters dressed in black, uh, carrying backpacks. And I believe I came upon these two of these subjects uh, in the performance of my duties out back behind our building, just happening 
just happening to be there as they came running through there what, under what appeared to be a escort by an unmarked police vehicle. That's pretty wild. Yeah, they were traveling from the direction of which our security surveillance dispatcher advised they were located. And given the time and the direction of travel, I suspect these subjects were the ones described over our security channel. And they appeared to be running in synchronization with one another, not necessarily running for their lives, but trying to get somewhere, uh, double timing, and were shadowed by what turned out to be a unmarked police vehicle, which subsequently stopped in the middle of the street and placed a siren on the roof of itself. As these subjects ran by, I thought somebody was going to emerge from the car and stop them. Never did. And in retrospect, it all seemed rather suspect. Understood. And I believe uh, Dan is here. I could hear him. Uh, I could hear his fan blowing out there in the wind. Yes, I'm back. Uh, oh my. my sister had a massive heart attack in her house. She's 75. Kept passing out. Took her forever to get to the phone, but she's uh, in stabilized condition and intensive care. But uh, the messages kept popping up on my screen here, and I thought, my God, she's dying or something. And uh, so I had to go, excuse me for parting the pattern here for a while. No worries. I mean, we were all, yeah. the chat room was hoping that everything was fine with the sister. Nothing, yeah. you know, too yeah. devastating, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. I'm glad everything's good. Okay, my God. Yeah. Holy hell. Yeah. Definitely not something yeah. you want to read. That's for sure. Right. Right. Um, uh, what were you we just talking about? Well, we went into, um, we went into some of the, the Vegas shooting for a minute here. We went back to 2000. Well, we went forward to 2017. We were talking about Stephen Paddock for a moment here. Well, not exactly him, oh. but you know, we were getting around to that sort of thing. Okay. Well, I'm not well versed on that, uh, that topic. So, uh, no worries. We'll, I will listen. Yes. We'll, I will listen. We'll, we'll go back to, um, 9-11 here in a moment, but that's pretty crazy what happened there. They're saying 60 people officially were killed that day and uh, 411 people were wounded, I believe, back in October, October 1st. That was a different yeah, world. Research. Oh, sorry, Michael, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, I was just going to say that was a different world uh, back in 2017 than the one we are in 2022. The world has changed since then. Uh, most certainly. I, I found through research, for example, the doctor of Paddock uh, is a employee of the Department of Homeland Security as well. Uh, how many people in the state of Nevada can make that claim? <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah, and we still haven't seen all of the uh, footage, by the way. Yes, I was seeing the uh, chat room there by Federal Reserve Brown. He's saying there yeah. is still a video on yeah. YouTube of a lady in a taxi at the Mandalay Bay Hotel filming someone from the fourth floor going to town with a machine gun. Interesting. Well, I did try to... Go ahead. Forgive me, Dan. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to say real quick, I made a FOIA request of the FBI for all the evidence. I had a lawyer who volunteered to assist me with the case, but he eventually got cold feet and declined to proceed and so i have a pending FOIA request that hasn't been uh satisfied to date wow. by the fbi that's pretty I wild there. video yeah. 
uh, other uh, evidence reports, uh, a, g a gaggle of information uh, with, that they did not decline to uh, provide, but having litigated with the FBI for 9-11 information, I found that they're not going to give stuff up unless they're absolutely forced to. Right. Yeah, they won't give you any breadcrumbs, in other words. Correct. Yes. Yeah, well, the whole Department, whole Department of Justice, FBI, and also corrupt. And so corrupt. I had dealings with it years ago, from 2006 to 2012, on another whistleblower case that involved mobbed-up judges in Chicago. And uh, I approached the FBI, and they wouldn't even investigate it. I had all the evidence. So uh, I, I've lost all faith and trust in the U.S. government. And uh, I don't know what's left. I mean, you two guys living in a police state over there, uh, that's right. With, right. With uh, FBI, I mean, NSA wiretaps, Homeland Security, and the Patriot Act pretty much wrapped it up. And we can thank uh, 9-11 for that. So uh, We really can. But, uh, Dan, I do want to say, you know, as an American citizen, I love this country. You know, I am not a enemy of, of the, the state or the government or the people. I'm for the people, but, you know, the government... Uh, that's a whole other story, but I do love this country. By the way, I'm not a traitor. I'm joking. Well, I by do the way. too. I do too, Mike. I know. I'm messing I with you. By the way, people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. But, uh, for uh, for those that don't know, you are not in this country. No, I. I in 2010, I met, fell in love with, and married a Pakistani woman, and I've been here happily ever since. And and uh, the U.S. government is well aware. Of my location, the fact that I'm a big mouth, loose cannon, 9-11 pilot, whistleblower, saying there were no Muslim hijackers at the controls of 9-11 airplane in the midst of uh, 200 million Muslim Pakistanis. And I don't think it sits well with them because uh, yeah. I get interrogated by the FBI and TSA when I enter or leave the country. But uh, I was just about I'm to ask you that, Dan. I was going to say, do you have trouble flying? Yeah, yeah. They, oh, my. Uh, a couple of years ago, and I've told this story before, but uh, a few years ago, we had been, hadn't been to the States for several years, and then I was planning a trip to Atlanta through Doha, Qatar, and uh, the day I made my reservation on uh, Qatar Airways, the FBI in Washington calls my ex-wife and nice. wanted to know everything about my trip. My sister in uh, Illinois calls me and said, hey, the FBI is looking for you. And I go, what for? <laughs> so... Uh, I called them in Washington and said, I, I hear you looking for me. And they got all frazzled saying, how do you know that? Who told you that? And I told them and uh, they wouldn't tell me anything. So I said to my wife, look, expect something to happen when we get to Atlanta. I mean, the FBI knew knew we were coming. So uh, sure enough, we get to Atlanta and my wife's a foreigner. So she goes over to the foreigner's line and I'm in the domestic line and passport control immigration. And a couple of minutes later, a man and a woman is escorting my wife over, and they introduced themselves to me. And uh, one was an FBI agent, the other was a TSA agent, and asked me if I had time for some questions. And I was sure I was expecting you. So they took us over to a desk that didn't have a line and said, here, stamp their passports. And when the uh, immigration officer got into the computer, he looked up at the FBI agent and said, hey, you know this guy's red, don't you? Well, I should have asked what that meant, but I knew it wasn't something good. And the <laughs> FBI agent said, uh, yeah, we know, we know. So 
they took us into a room and just wanted to know everything about where I was going to be, my points of contact and all that. So I gave them that and I thought it was over with. And we were in the States for a month and we were leaving Atlanta and we just kind of cleared through security. Now, mind you, they had to know what flight I was leaving on and what I looked like and everything else. Uh, Cause we dumped out into a busy corridor and up walks behind me, another FBI agent, TSA agent asked me if I had time for questions. And then this time they took me into a room and it lasted about a half hour. The first thing he said was, <coughs> excuse me, Mr. Hanley, we want to thank you for your 10 years service in the U S military. And, uh, we wanted to assure you that we respect your First Amendment freedom of speech rights, but have you ever been uh, threatened? And I went, no, why? Should I feel threatened? And they go, no, we were just kidding. And they're questioning you, and they asked me that several times during the uh, this uh, interrogation. But Consider yourself every- lucky, uh, Dan, that you weren't waterboarded. Exactly, because they they knew everything about me. They didn't need to waterboard me. They knew what Facebook groups I was in, Twitter. Wow. I was very, I was very vocal on uh, social media about U.S. foreign policy in Southeast Asia and the Middle East since 9/11, and I didn't mince words with what I had to say about the U.S. government and their foreign policy uh, and Israel's involvement and their influence on U.S. government. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> yeah, they knew it. They knew it all. I mean, my my wife. Uh, buried her head in her lap, laughing, and uh, he's innocent. All he does is paste a post on social media, and I said, let him go. They just sent down here to do a job. But uh, it happened again when uh, we came to the States uh, a couple years ago. Uh, so they've, they've got my number. I'm not intimidated. I'm not afraid to come on programs and speak my piece. And uh, we've got the website, and I'm very visible right now with the letter writing I've been doing with the government. Yeah, you've been, uh, for those that don't know, you've been uh, sending lots of emails out there. You even sent them this very show tonight. So I'm going to get a knock at my door, uh, (laughs) possibly, thanks to Dan here, Captain Dan. Yeah, I was was thinking that as I hit the send button. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, they already know of me, yes. There's been plenty of uh, people that shouldn't have been on the show that have been interviewed. Let's leave it at that. But um, yeah, good times, but they definitely will be checking out the show. That's what they do. Yeah. The feds are always listening. Exactly. National security. Yeah. National security is, uh, nothing more than security of government. That's right. So it has exactly. nothing to do with public safety, nothing to do with public safety. All of these words will be used against you in the court of law, gentlemen. So I trapped you. I work for the feds. <laughs> You're all busted. You're all yeah. going to jail now, for sure. I have all the folders. Well, I have all the facts here on all of you, on on you, Aiden and Dan. I actually work for the CIA. You guys are in deep trouble. I'm good. Man. I heard about you guys. <laughs> Some people actually think I do work for the feds, by the way, which is ridiculous. Really? Wow, I guess that's pushing the envelope. But uh, I'm honored yeah. that they think that, though. That's very cute. Very sweet of them. But no, I don't well, work for I, anyone. I don't. I'm afraid. I don't know if you mentioned it before, Aiden, or maybe you did, uh, Michael. But uh, Aiden's written a book called uh, "Declassifying 9/11: A Between the Lines and Behind the Scene Look at the September 11th Attack." So uh, I just wanted to plug your book for you. Uh, oh, Aiden. nice. I know it takes yeah, well, a lot of work to do that. And, uh, yeah. Before I, I that, thanks. 
Yeah, and uh, I, I was just saying, uh, I think before I got off the uh, line here, that Aiden had written this, that I mentioned I, he had written this uh, paper called The Plausibility of 9-11 Aircraft Attack Generated by GPS Guided Aircraft Autopilot System. We've got that on our website at 911pilot.org, and it's set up so if you want to, you can download the article and attach it to an email and email it anywhere in the world, but it's uh, eight pages long, and Aiden went into a lot of detail about a lot of the uh, issues concerning this system and <clears throat> the lengths that the government went through to upgrade systems external to the aircraft as well as internal to the aircraft that led to the de development and production of the system prior to 9-11. And it's critical that this information be brought forward because prior to that, our organization, all we had was the uh, the Rob Belsamo interview of Wayne Anderson on our website to show because Wayne in his interview there admits that when he would, they were doing this bench test on the autopilot, it was the 1996-1997 time frame. So he, people say, no, there's way, no way in hell you can auto, uh, uh, electronically hijack the big commercial jet aircraft. So I'll go into the history of, uh, remote control, if you'd like, Michael and Aiden. Yeah, uh, but before you do, so actually, there was uh, something in the chat room, I believe, by Jay Andrews. I'm not sure if he was trying to call in right now, but he says, Hey, Dan, 9-11 question, given what we saw in NYC and the Pentagon, what are the chances What are the chances that 93 was the only hijack? That's what he's acquiring there. Okay, well, he's talking about the no planes issue. Right. Uh, so I... That's the uh, interesting thing about our organization is the scope of what we're saying is so narrow that we don't address 93-175 or some of the issues surrounding them, like no plane, whether a missile hit the Pentagon. But I've seen all the evidence over the years from the people that says that there were no planes. I've seen evidence that people say there were an airborne swap of aircraft. So uh, it's believable evidence, but... I don't even want to go there. I don't want to make a statement on behalf of 9-11 pilot whistleblowers because that isn't where we're at. I, I tend to agree as well. I, I don't think any of the more exotic theories were necessary for the attacks to have occurred. As we allege, uh, all of the technology was uh, widely available in, in place and uh, Ready for use, and I, as I said, one, as I said uh, once again, I just don't think that any of the more exotic theories are uh, n needed for things to have happened the way they happened. In my opinion. Well, if you look at, we got a hijackers page there, and if you look particularly at Hani Hanjor, uh, we're just saying they couldn't have flown them, and the autopilot system could have flown these flight profiles. End of discussion. And if you look at that and you come to that conclusion after reading the website and watching the videos there, uh, it blows up the holy hell out of the whole 9-11 narrative, just that alone. So saying that introducing the system and saying that, proving that these hijackers couldn't have flown the airplane, which we try to also do with the pilot interviews uh, I've conducted. That's, that's an interesting thing. We get on Skype. And do a ten to a ten minute to a half hour interview of a pilot somewhere in the world who says the same thing that Honey Hunter couldn't have flown the profile, 
and we were putting these up on YouTube and YouTube started deleting them, calling it hate speech. <laughs> so we uh, temporarily have suspended doing that. We're going to other video platforms we're putting up on. We'll resume that. But uh, it's pretty telling when you have all these pilots saying the same thing over and over again, that there's no way. And I believe, as do other people, that the reason why so many people fell for the official stories that these hijackers couldn't have flown the airplane, I mean, flew the airplane, is because they're not pilots. And they can't conceive of the absurdity of this ludicrous notion from a pilot's perspective that they did fly the airplane. I mean, it, it's just crazy. And the fact that this was never brought up before the 9-11 Commission. I mean, the government came out and said, look, we know who they are. We found the passports. We found the books in Muhammad Adda's car, blah, blah, blah. He, these 19 people did it. And everybody bought into it. They bought it and they said they came to the state. They had training. Well, training in a, a we, we've got an airplane and a cockpit page on our website. And you look at the airplane difference between a Cessna 172 and that of a 767. And then you go, hey, one of them weighs a ton. The other one weighs 100 tons. One of them is 27 feet long. The other one's 180 feet long. You're comparing a 100-knot airplane to a 500-knot airplane and a 180-horsepower engine compared to two engines that uh, produce 48,000 pounds of thrust. It's the equivalent of getting having had your license for about a year in your family car and then getting into a large semi-tractor trailer, an 18-wheeler, get it up to 500 miles an hour and try to drive it to a garage without scraping the sides of the truck or getting into a Formula One race car, getting it on the track up to 200 miles an hour and try to keep it on the track with that little experience. It just doesn't happen that way. It doesn't add up, that's for sure. And of course, it, it once does, you... It doesn't add up. And then you look yeah. at the cockpit comparison. We compare a Cessna 172 cockpit to that of a Boeing 767. There's no way in hell those guys could have gotten in the cockpit of the airplane, interpreted the instrument, managed the flight management computer through the control display units and navigated down to fly these things the way they did. It all just doesn't add up. And that's what we're trying to show on the website. Yes, we're trying to beat it into everyone's head. Uh, beat yeah. it into a uh, beat. Yeah. Beat all these people over the head with this information. And of course, once you add in the flight trainer who flunked the two 9-11 hijackers from the Pentagon, Rick Garza out of San Diego, you would have to sort of uh, rethink the whole narrative. Exactly. Amazing. If stuff. And, sorry, if I may. And Dan, I'm, I think can confirm this for me. Uh, most people may not even be aware of the fact that most pilots are only flying the plane for about 90 seconds at takeoff and 90 seconds at landing. And the rest of a typical commercial airline flight is under autopilot control. Well, they got to drink coffee and eat crew meals. Aiden. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that, and, uh, that, that's correct. It's so automated. People don't realize the sophistication of these systems. These systems I was shocked in 1989 when I first got on my first class cockpit airplane and saw how automated it was. I went home to my then wife and said to her, uh, my job's done. It's over with. They've automated the whole system. And they told me in school early on that these systems were derived from cruise missile te technology. And when you see the accuracy of it, it's incredible. And it's demonstrated on an auto landing. People don't realize that 
when the weather, inclement weather gets down to where a pilot can see less than 1,200 feet down the runway, they have to, by regulation, by federal regulation, auto land the airplane. So they link up all this equipment, the computer, radios, et cetera, and the autopilot takes over, flies precisely down a glide path and localizes its signal to put the airplane right in the touchdown zone and track down the center line of the air runway and the pilots actually have to disconnect the autopilot to regain control of the airplane. That's how accurate the system is. So uh, that, that's the other part of it. People just don't realize the navigation systems and what they're capable of doing. Right. Because Super if you're 911, going, oh, sorry, go ahead, Dan. No, go ahead, you go ahead, Aiden. Oh, sure, thank you. I Just quickly, um, circa 911, the uh, wide area augmentation system, uh, GPS, provided for an accuracy of as little as three meters uh, over wow. the contiguous United States continent. And that accuracy was available anywhere, not just uh, on approach to an airport under ILS con landing conditions, but accuracy uh, anywhere with the uh, satellite array uh, visible to them. Wow. Three meters. Three meters. Well, that's the other thing. You look at the twin tires and people go, all they had to do was point the airplane and go. But actually, they're two slivers of concrete and steel that are only 200 feet wide. Well, the wingspan on a 67 is 160 feet wide. And you look at both of them on their first attempt managed to hit the tire dead, almost dead, dead on. So had they been just a few degrees off heading, uh, they would have missed the buildings, as you mentioned. And, uh, by several hundred feet. So, uh, right. It was wings level 175 was at 13 seconds. And then at eight seconds from impact, it reappeared at 20 degree, uh, bank and from a mile and a half distance. Um, yeah, if you're not right on the money with the timing of the turn, you miss by necessarily uh, hundreds of feet. And also under crosswind conditions, uh, how does, a human account for forces such as those that could push an aircraft off target from that distance. Yeah. Well, there's, there's so many questions that went on and answered by the farcical 9-11 commission. First of all, there wasn't going to be a 9-11 commission. It wasn't until the next kin came up and started beating on George Bush saying you have to have some kind of a, an investigation into this crime and it wasn't until 14 months later they actually convened this thing well the grand the uh, 9-11 commission members admitted that it was set up to fail afterwards okay it was underfunded and time constrained and uh, myself and another pilot interviewed Ray McGriffin who wrote a, a book it's on Barnes and Noble uh, right now and the title of it was An Unanswered Question what the September 11 families asked for and the 9-11 commission ignored. And they came forth, with the, I believe it was over a thousand questions they wanted the 9-11 commission to answer. And the 9-11 commission only addressed 30% of those uh, questions. And Ray said really only 10% of them were answered adequately. So this is why they're still out there begging for uh for justice, they're still uh, demanding the truth, and it's falling on deaf ears with our government. So, I think they are ignoring all these things, right? 
That's why you're being constantly stonewalled. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Aiden. Jump in there. Oh, forgive me. Uh, okay. I didn't mean to walk on you, no so worries, to speak. No uh, speaking of the 9-11 Commission, I'm just looking at a quote here of a uh, pilot expert that was relied upon during uh, the investigation by them and quoting uh, the report, entering changes to the autopilot is something that the terrorist pilots probably would not have been trained or able to do. Even the United Senior Pilot who instructs on how to do that said he always has to pause before he makes such corrections to make sure he remembered to make sure rather he remembered how to enter the change. And once again, the official story asks us to believe that amateurs who couldn't fly uh, Cessnas were able to do things that even a professional trainer with a major airline would have to stop and think about doing when doing so themselves. Right. Right. Well, you look, you, you talk about trying to bring information forward and we address it on, uh, the website as well. There's an organization I mentioned called the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry. And what happened was a few years ago, several lawyers in the United States got together with the biggest 9-11 whistleblowers in the world, and they compiled 57 evidence packages and presented them to a U.S. attorney in New York City, Jeffrey Berman. And it forced him, once he looked at the evidence, to announce the convening of a grand jury investigation into their allegations that World Trade Center buildings one, two, and seven, and yeah, there was a third building, uh, were brought down by controlled demolition and not by jet aircraft impact damages or the field fires that ensued. And when you look at this evidence, they've got a website, and that's nine it's the Lawyers Committee for nine eleven inquiry. When you look at their evidence, it's a slam dunk. If any grand jury that would look at that evidence with what they brought forward had would have to conclude that they were brought down by controlled demolition. And the Department of Justice, the FBI, and an organization, government organization called the National Institute of Standards and Technology for the last few years have been doing everything in their power to stonewall this thing in federal court. And it's probably eventually going to wind up in the Supreme Court, but if it ever saw the light of day, it would be all over. That's what I'm hoping for. I think many people are hoping for that sort of thing to happen. Even the, the families, you know, they want to sue and get some uh, money from Saudi Arabia. Right. right. Do you think they, they deserve that money? That's a good question. Exactly. Do they? Exactly. I'm, well, they were, the next can, a lot of them were bought off by the government to remain silent. They were given hush money to go away, so. You still have a group out there fighting to uh, get this thing exposed 20 years later. I say pay them. Pay them? Yeah, give them money. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they they deserve money uh, due to their laws. Uh, the Saudis have plenty of money. Why not? Right. Yeah. Aiden, do Why you believe that, uh, by the way? Do you do you believe the, the family should get money? Oh, certainly. There should be certainly a criminal and civil liability on part of uh, a number of parties and uh, certainly uh, the, the next of kin and survivors should be the beneficiaries of such uh, compensation or justice, shall we say. Certainly. Go ahead, Dan. Sorry. No, I was just going to talk about uh, I had uh, dealings with the National Whistleblower Center and Government Accountability Project several years ago. They're both Washington-based uh, 
their whistleblower advocacy group. They're the largest in the world, okay? And I was working with them for a couple of years and late in the ball game, they came to me and said, Dan, look, based on our statistics, there's less than a 2% probability of a whistleblower in the United States winning their case. 2%. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not, that's not good. That's like needle in a haystack sort of uh, statistics there. Yeah. So uh, in other words, we're screwed. Well, you got to keep fighting. I mean, I'm uh, 72 years old and people say, why don't you quit? Give it up. It was 20 years ago. Most people don't care about it anymore, but I feel like I know like so many other people too much about the lies of 9-11 yeah. to remain silent. So I won't. It's hard to give up Neither. on it though as well though, Dan. I mean, this sort of, you know, turn your whole life upside down. Uh, as, yeah, as it, it will turn many lives upside down. It changed everything here. I'm um, just like yeah. it's changed, uh, here in, uh, the last couple of years here. But of course, the events of 9-11 were the greatest crimes ever committed on American soil, like you've said in the past, Dan. Yeah. So I understand people, your reason why you haven't just given up the fight. I mean, it's an admirable fight. It's an uphill battle, um, but it's one we must all endure and try to go through. Yeah. Well, there uh, are no statutes of limitations for uh, mass murder. Right. So uh, it's an open case and there to pursue and should be. Otherwise, justice is uh, meaningless. Well... Excuse my condemnation of him, but you can thank the 535 moral cowards of Congress for going along with this story and perpetuating lie for 20 years, as well as the, I'll call it Zionist owned and controlled mainstream media that's perpetuated the lie as well. And so many people turn on their TV and believe what they're being told. And every year we hear the same thing. Muslim hijackers, and no one bothers to question it. And too many people are of the mindset that if it wasn't on TV, it never happened. It never happened, right. And we, we need to change that by staying busy, educating, organizing, <clears throat> and doing the, the best we can to get good people into office. Often that starts at the local level. Right. Well... I'm looking forward to the people in Washington reading the article that was written uh, that hopefully is going out to 140 countries. Uh. <laughs> so, so Mike, and good, good, good work, Dan. I just wanted to acknowledge that and congratulate you for staying you, busy. And, did you read it, Aiden? I did. I did scan it. Yeah, and it, I, I found it very uh, compelling. Yeah, and I think it, it would be an eye opener for some, and a good place to start for those who don't know as much as we do. Well, there's 7.9 billion people in the world and 1.8 billion people of them are Muslim. And like the Mexican, they would like the truth to be told. And that's personally the target audience of 9-11 Pilot Whistleblower because we recognize that the Western media and for a large part, the uh, Western global population Seems not to care about this issue. Otherwise, it would be brought up. It'd be front and center, center stage. I mean, uh, and uh, so we're hoping. I, on September 11th this past year, I actually managed to get on national TV for an hour, but I had two other panelists on with me, and the host of the program drove me away from what I was talking about. But that's what I personally am trying to do, is get in the print media and... Uh, 
the Middle East. Oh, you were on TV, Dan. Uh, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I was on TV. I was on Odd TV. My oh, my okay. wife is a new newscaster of the largest news station in Pakistan. It stayed run. They wouldn't dare let me on. But uh, she knew the CEO of Oz TV coming into 9-11, and she saw me scrambling trying to get on some programs here and get articles printed in the paper, and she called him. He goes, sure, I'll have him on. So the tragedy was we got to the uh, host office 15 minutes before, yeah. and he goes, and I had he had interviewed me on a completely different topic years ago, and so he goes, here's what I'm going to ask you. And he starts asking me questions that I didn't even want to be asked. And I said, no, no, no. I said, call up 911pilots.org on your computer here. And I started trying to point out who I was and what we're doing in 15 minutes. And he's got his producer in there taking notes. But uh, he didn't even, he said I was uh, with 911.org. He didn't say pilots. So I was just, I'm trying to drive people to our website because we're convinced that if they read it and watch the videos, They'll believe what we're saying. That's right. That's 911pilots.org for anyone yeah. curious out there and you want to get more information about Dan and all these things that we're talking about. It's all there. That's 911pilots.org. Yes. Yes. And by the way, can we I, find footage of that, by the way? You on TV. Yeah, on my YouTube channel, our YouTube channel, 911pilots, uh, about, go down about two lines and, uh, it says A-A-J-T-V. But the other tragedy is for people that are only English speaking as I was, uh, most of the programs done in Urdu, the national language of Pakistan. So uh, it's almost not worth the watch because uh, I didn't get to say exactly what I wanted to say. But it's a start. I got on national TV here. Yeah, you were on yeah, TV now. for a while. It's not too bad. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping... Sorry, perhaps you can find someone. Perhaps you could find somebody to install subtitles. Some subtitles, right? Yeah, that would be a good idea. But uh, yeah, I can't speak the language. But uh, I'm hoping that this uh, article that goes out will draw some more attention. I actually was on uh, a producer from a Malaysian TV station came to me about a year and a half ago. And if you go to the About Dan Hanley page on the website. and scroll down toward the bottom. There's two three-minute interviews I did. The first one of them was approaching 9/11, and we talked about the uninterruptible autopilot. And the second one I did, they asked me if I could talk about it to refute arguments made by an expert in the UK who was claiming that the Malaysian Air 370 captain committed suicide. It was a murder-suicide. If you're not familiar with that incident, that was that Boeing 777 that disappeared out over the Indian Ocean several years ago that some, including myself, claim was electronically hijacked as well. So on that video, it's still only three minutes long, but I got a lot of information or information out it's worth watching uh, to see what, what it said. So I did a radio program in uh, Casablanca, Morocco, last year too so and that's what I was in English so uh, I'm trying to personally get my foot in the door with as many media outlets as you can because you're sure as hell hell not going to get on the western mainstream media with any of this stuff yeah probably not I think I oh sorry I think you should make a really good effort to try to as I was saying uh, have some video editor 
install foreign language subtitles because I think once that happens, I think your coverage will just uh, grow exponentially. Yeah. Yeah. Someone called in, by the way, and then hung up. I was going to take a call here for uh, both of you gentlemen. Someone has been calling in uh, quite a bit here, and I try to take their call, but they, they hung up. Well, it's probably Federal Reserve Brown, my friend out in Hawaii. His first name, he legally changed to Federal Reserve because he loves that institution so much to cause people to bring it to yeah, their conversation. I, I could hear someone now on the line, but they need to turn their, their uh, computer off or whatever Hello? listening device they have on because I could hear us. In the, oh, I think he turned it off. A caller, are you out there? Are you alive? Oh, he hung up again. I heard someone. I did too. No one is ever patient when they call in. They think, you know, that we're, they're going to get on right away, even though we're talking. Uh, but if you do call in, remember to turn off your, your, um, computer or whatever you're listening to the program with a uh, definitely call back in. Uh, we'd like to hear from you. Oh, I guess that's him again. Hopefully he has taken our advice here. Uh, caller, we can hear you. Hello. What's up? Hello. Call oh, somebody. Are you uh, are you out there? What's going on? Um, but if you do call in, remember. Oh yeah, he's still messing up. So we're gonna have to let that guy go. Um, some people drop the ball. Caller, go ahead. You're live. Hello. Whoa! Now he's yelling at us. What's going on? Hello. Yes. Hi. Go ahead. Hello. Is this the Michael Dixon program? I believe it is, sir. How I'm are you? I'm calling the Michael Deacon program. Me too. I don't understand. None I of us do. some kind of line tie going on. No, I brought both of you oh, in. Oh, okay. I'll hang up and try again. <laughs> oh, my goodness. No, we, can, we can hear you. Yeah, we can hear you. Hello? What's going on, brother? How are you? Uh, now I hear myself. These calls are, are gone, by the way. They, they dropped the ball. They have annoyed me already. I'm sorry. I'm not taking any more calls. They have screwed the show up now. So anyways, gentlemen, I'm sorry to uh, bring the show down to a halt there. A life of a live broadcaster. That's right. Uh, I should not have merged those calls together. It confused them. They got so scared. They thought they were, they didn't know who they were talking to, but that's the fun that a live show yeah. brings, but oh well. I recognize the voice. I believe it was my friend, my Federal Reserve Brown from Hawaii, who would have been an interesting person to have on. So that's a shame we couldn't talk to him. Well, we do have the chat. If he's in there, he could type in his question, and I'll, I'll uh, give it to you there, Dad. Oh, okay. If he if one pops up, uh, I'd be happy to answer it. Uh, yeah, no problem. So in- Anyhow, uh, I'll just throw this out there. I'm on Facebook at Dan Hanley and Twitter at Dan Hanley 4 if anybody wants to join me there. Uh, I'm very vocal on a lot of issues. So, Yes, and I do want to thank you very much for being a part of the program, uh, Dan. I know we have uh, been going on here a bit. Um, but by the way, we do have one more call. Hopefully it's not someone who will um, drop the ball again. Hopefully not. Um, caller, are you there? Hello? There you are. Loud and clear. Loud and clear, yeah, go ahead. And nothing again. He got scared and hung up. 
the NSA strikes again. They're scared of us. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm telling you, we could hear them, but they uh, get nervous or something. Yeah. I'm not sure why. They're, they're, they're listening to us. Hi, fellas. How you doing? How's the family? You going on vacation this year? Oh, yes. <laughs> Either no. way, um, Dan, again, it's always an honor and pleasure to talk to you. And Aiden, the same. Always an honor and pleasure to have you here on the program. I know we could talk for hours here, but I didn't want to hold up uh, the captain here. Well, you're not holding me up. Go ahead, Aiden. I'm sorry. Yeah, thanks for having me. And you know, I I, I appreciate Dan's support of uh, my research, and uh, I'm just glad to have been of any help that I've been, and hope hopefully can continue to be. Well, thank you, Aiden, for the work that you've done with your book and the paper and everything else. And um, I'll mention that I'm personally going to interview Aiden myself in a video call, and we're going to slap that on the website as well uh, and send it to the FAA so they can watch it. Uh, but uh, I want to thank you, Michael, for once again having me on the program and giving us a chance to air our grievances with our government that doesn't agree with us and wants to suppress individuals that are willing to step forward and speak the truth oh yes um any final words here uh dan before we cut you loose here no just uh if you're listening and you haven't gone already go to 911pows.org at the top there's a join us page join us on the website and i'm going to throw this out there and i don't want people to uh, construe that we're money grubbing uh whistleblowers trying to capitalize on 9-11, but we do have a donate button and we do have overhead expenses such as a website management, development, uh, administrative costs and other systems we're trying to put in place to spread our, our readership. So uh, if you want to give five bucks, whatever you can spare, I know times are tough for a lot of people right now, but uh, we'd appreciate any donation you can give. And we even take Bitcoin on there. Bitcoin, so, uh, nice. Yeah. Thanks to our web developer that's on there. Uh, but anyhow, thanks again, Michael. Thank you. And of Great course, work, Dan. Yeah, and of course, Aiden, we, that comes down to you now. Any final words, any any final words or thoughts, anything we didn't cover here before we cut you loose as well? Uh, no, I think that covered it. Uh, again, uh, I invite you know listeners to take a look at the research, take a look at Dan's work take a look at the implausibility of the official story and just know that there's something else going on here and has been for 20 years and always is in the cases of uh, major events. The official story is often the uh, biggest conspiracy of all and uh, citizens should just be vigilant and do their own research and not take the word of the six o'clock news. That's right. And uh, hopefully all of you are very healthy. You haven't contracted COVID yet. Hopefully that's not you out there. Uh, not so far. Very nice. Um, Dan, you too, you're, you're COVID-free out there, right? Yes, I am. Yes, we are COVID-free. Things are sort of uh, dying down in that regard. So I've been taking ivermectin, so I'm okay. Oh, good. Feeling good. And yes, I... Three for three. Yeah, I've actually, you know, I've contracted COVID multiple times. The, the last time on purpose... Just as an experiment, I mean, we are living in a science experiment, so I thought I had the right to also experiment too, and I got my wish. Huh. Hey, but I'm wow. fine. Yeah, 
a unique kind of research and development. That's right. I have to risk it all sometimes. Without risks, there are no rewards in life. Putting yeah. it all on the line, literally. <laughs> Once again, boys, gentlemen, men out there listening, thank you all for being here tonight. And of course, I want to thank our guests, Captain Dan Hanley and Aiden Monaghan. Great gentlemen. Thanks, I, I respect both of you tremendously and hope to do this again with both of you on the other side. That'd be great. For sure, guys. I'll talk to you guys soon. Okay. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Good night, guys. Bye-bye. See you, Dan. Bye. And uh, there they go, boys and girls. That was phenomenal. I enjoyed that very much, and I'm sorry I had to uh, cut the lines there for those that were calling in. Um, sometimes we get calls, and sometimes we don't. That's the way it works here. But once again, I do want to thank all of you out there for being a part of the program. Those of you that will listen to this back on, uh, you know, on the podcast version of the show, where you can find on iTunes, Stitcher, Castbox. Anywhere where you could find um, this show, any platform out there. And of course, those of you in the chat room, the newer listeners out there, thank you very much for checking out the show. It's been fantastic, but I'm looking at the clock here. And as we take it home here tonight and pull this Larry Silverstein style, again, I do want to thank all of you out there. Those of you on Patreon, um, for those that don't know, I did a show just the other night with Mike Hideous, my co-host, exclusively on Patreon. So if you uh, want more content, please go to patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. And of course, michaeldeacon.com. Go there. All the information is right in front of you. And of course, if you want to email me, that's michael at michaeldeacon.com. Michael at michaeldeacon.com. Please subscribe to the channel here if you have not done so. We would appreciate that. Yes, Robotic Punk, all the way from Australia. And that's another thing I do want to mention. We do have plenty of international listeners out there. And I do want to thank you for taking time to listen to our show. We do want to thank all of you out there that are outside of America. We appreciate all of you out there. We are very international. I never thought this show would be heard all around the world, but it's true. Everyone around the world does love this program. All the international listeners out there, we love you very much. It was a top talent show yet again, boys and girls, but it is now time to close the doors here. And again, it's been a fun time, but we're here for a good time, not a long time. Tomorrow I might return, by the way. It might be live, it might not be live, I'm not quite sure. We will be talking to Eve Lorgan tomorrow. That's going to be a lot of fun. So definitely stick around, boys and girls, as the world turns, as the world turns. Yes, hello. Yes, hello to those in Ottawa. We love the Canadians out there as well. And yes, rip to Manny Lopez, whoever that is. I see you, Anthony. Yes, I'm sorry I didn't take your call. We had to wrap it up here, folks. I do want to thank you out there, Jay Andrews, Dublin. The Earth Observer, the, the Pale Horse, Bubba, Cats, uh, Cats, uh, Cats Jackson out there. We love you very much. Yes, there's so many names out there. I'm pretty sure I forgot. Yes, Steven, the Federal Reserve. Uh, who else? Uh, Eric, Melissa. Yeah, there's so many of you. So many of you indeed. 
Um, and of course, all the other messages I was getting during the show when I was trying to concentrate here, most of you were making me laugh, sending me all kinds of messages here through uh, Twitter. Very fun. Once again, boys and girls, it's been a, it's been amazing. It really has. Much respect to all of you out there. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time. Good night, everybody. Let's call it a heart attack. This is just a final payback They all flipped on me Took my passions, left me be When I had a place to sit Goddamn attitude to fit Talk real smooth, new way to spit But things have changed and I have quit Got nothing to look forward to Put a backlash full of lies You're too It's much too late You're much too late Like a pisshole punk With his nose turned up And a fragrance on your own Tell me, tell me what it's like To be alone And let's not forget It's called face prayer You offer a six to your face He dropped out of the Chasing